1 Samuel 31, verse 1. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before them and fell slain on Mount Geboah. And the Philistines pursued Saul and his son and slew Jonathan and Abinadab and uh, Malkashua, uh, Saul's sons. The battle went heavily against Saul, and the archers severely wounded him. Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse and mock me. But this his armor-bearer would not, for he was terrified. So Saul took a sword and fell on it. And his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, and he likewise fell upon his sword and died with him. That's loyalty. Can you say amen to that? So Saul, his three sons, his armor-bearer, and all his men died that day together. And when the men of Israel on the other side of the valley and beyond Jordan saw that the Israelites had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled. And the Philistines came and dwelt in them. The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Geboah. They cut off Saul's head. I know that's kind of graphic. And stripped off his armor and sent them round about the land of the Philistines to publish it in the house of their idols and among the people. And they put Saul's armor in the house of Ashtaroth, the idols representing the female deities, Ashtaroth and Asherah. And they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshane. And when the people of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night, and they took the bodies of Saul and his sons, from the wall of Bethshan and came to Jabesh and cremated them there. And they took their bones and buried them under a tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. I thank you for a very timely message, Father. I ask, Lord, that we would not, uh, not belabor time. Help me, Father, to speedily, quickly get through the point that you would have here today so that everyone will receive the message in full. We give you the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If I had a title today, it would simply be this, How Long, Lord? How many of you have ever been in a trial and a testing and a pattern, a holding pattern, and you wondered, if is this trial ever going to end? Is this, am I ever going to get to the end of this to know what the next step is? What's my next purpose? What's the next thing? We've been kind of wrestling that with this building and the purchase of it and sitting over there for two years waiting to get in. And then we got in and had to wait to get on the other side. But uh, we're, we're quickly approaching the end of that. But we all go through those moments. And for the last few weeks, we've been talking about lessons in the life of David. Lessons from the life of David. So here's some of the things that we've learned. Do not put your hand against God's anointed. How many can say amen to that? We learned do not get after or do not go after a brother to get revenge. We learned let patience have a complete work. We learned be careful how you handle and represent God in his presence because it could be costly, even deadly. So David is... Growing his character. And his character 
is building. And David is hiding in Ziph. That's a nice, neat little name in it. He's hiding in Ziph. But he's been reported by the Ziphites. Now, these are, these are brothers. They're just people who have taken on the name of the area in which they live, but they're, they're Jews. But they have reported, uh, they have reported uh, David that he's hiding out in Ziph. And being there, um, Saul hears this. Now, remember, he's already had uh, his confrontation with Saul when he snuck in, cut off the, the portion of his skirt, held it up to him and said, look, I could have took your life, but I want you to know my heart is for you. I'll never touch God's anointed. I'm with you. And Saul left blessing David and telling David how wonderful he was. But then at the first report where somebody knows where David and his men are hiding, Saul goes on pursuit again. Some people just cannot be trusted. Don't look at your neighbor like that. He's been reported. And again, Saul comes to pursue him. And Saul again falls asleep in a cave. You'd think he'd have learned the first time. He falls asleep in a cave, and he's got his spear near his head where he's laying his head and a bottle of water. There he is in this moment, in the battle. Now look at this. As he's laying there, Saul and Abinadab, or, or David and Abinadab, know that he's there. Guess what they do? Once again, they show Saul the mercy of David's heart. Saul and David sends Abinadab in to get the spear and the bottle of water. And from a ravine between them, David holds up his spear and he holds up the water bottle and he says, once more, Saul, I want you to know, I've got your back. I could have took your life, but I will not touch God's anointed. I'm a man of honor. I keep my word and I would never do you harm. Now send some of your men to come and get what belongs to you. Saul again begins to lament. Oh, so, oh, David, I'm so sorry. You're a greater man than I. I have sinned. I have done so awful. Now, Benadab wanted to take him out while he was there. He says, I wouldn't have to strike him twice. Once is enough. He'll be gone. David says, no. That's God's anointed. You don't touch him. They go through all of this, and Saul is saying, look, you're, you're a greater man than me, David. You're a greater man than me. You're a greater man than me. So why don't you come on home, David? Come on home. Don't have to worry anymore. Just, just come on home. But by now, David knows he cannot trust Saul. Even though he's told him to come on home, David knows the only way to get away from the persecution of Saul is to get out of a Jewish region, to get out of his home territory. And so he goes to Israel's most feared enemy, the Philistines, and makes a pact, a covenant with the king of the Philistines. And in this uh, in this covenant, the king allows him to go down 
and to stay at a place called Ziklag. He says, you can stay down there. I think that way the king felt that you're in my territory, but you're far enough away. I can get word if something, if trouble is brewing. And so <clears throat> David knows that the only way to, to, to get away from Saul is to go to this place. Well, sure enough, it works because Saul quits pursuing him. David spends another year and four months in exile at Ziklag in the Philistine territory. Here he's this close to the throne. He could have abdicated Saul's rule and took it into his own hands and been sitting on the throne of Israel. But because he's a man of honor, he won't go there. And he gets to stay in the enemy's territory for a year and four months. Mm. David proves himself honorable, even though this is his known enemy. He's even willing to fight against his countrymen in a war to prove his character to the Philistine king. Now, that's a man of honor. Very few men of honor or that kind of character in the day and age in which we live who can say amen to that. So look at this. David proves himself to King Achish, the Philistine king. And King Achish takes David to be his personal bodyguards in war against Israel. But the other Philistine leaders fear David. They're afraid that he will turn on them in battle when he starts seeing his countrymen falling. So Achish releases him to return to Ziklag. David and his men return to find that they've been attacked and have lost everything everything, including their women and their children. For the Amalekites came in the back door while they were off trying to be men of nobility, men of their word, men of honor. The enemy came in the back door and stole them blind and took their women and children. Doesn't that sound like the devil to you? It's just when you're standing up to be noble and right and pure and good, when the enemy comes along and he begins to stir trouble in your presence, he'll steal you blind in the back door. David returns home, and when he gets there, his men, you know the story, his men are so grieved. Everyone is crying. The word says that they cried until their, their body could not any longer produce tears. That's crying. They cried and they cried and they wailed over the, the, the loss of their loved ones. And suddenly the men start getting an evil eye towards David. These are the men that have been loyal with him, fought with him, and seen his character. These are the men who know he's a man of his word. But they began to turn an evil eye on him that you made friends with the Philistine king. Now look what's happened to us. Well, the word says that we're supposed to be at peace with our enemies, right? So David was fulfilling the truth. He was doing what was right. But his men now are feeling the loss. And so they're ready to, they're ready to pick up stones and stone their leader. They're ready to take him out. They're ready to take him out. He didn't even, they don't even want him to, to drop and die in war. They want to take him out by their own hand. They don't have the kind of character that David had. But David did something to prove his character. He doesn't have to defend himself. He has a mighty God. 
And so David, instead of pleading his case and begging for his life, he does the thing that people of integrity and character do. They worship and seek God for their answer. Instead of getting in a battle with the men around him, and he probably could have took a few of them out, he was a fierce warrior and he had very little fear. But because they're all in a grieving situation, he's not, he never once did you ever hear in the canon of the word that David ever accused these men of not being loyal. He understood their heart. He understood the pain. He understood the grief. He understood where they were because he was there too. And he's, what, is, what does a good leader do when he doesn't know what to do? He goes to God. And so David put on an ephod, the undergarment of a priest. He, he stepped away from the kingly anointing and got into the priestly anointing, saying, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what direction to go in. These men are going to take my life if, if you don't give me an answer. I need your answer, not, a, not man's answer. I need God's answer. I don't want an answer that I come up with. I want the answer you come up with, God. If you're fighting a battle, go to God. Slap your neighbor high five and say, I told you to go to God. So while he's praying, while he's worshiping, and if you know David, he worships lavishly. The rest of them probably thought he lost his mind. He's magnifying God. He's worshiping him. He's got his face to the ground. He's weeping even though he's out of tears. He's weeping in his spirit. He's groaning where deep cries unto deep. He's calling out for his God saying, I need an answer, God. Have you ever been there? When you need an answer and you need God to show up and you need him to show up right now, there's no time to waste. And while he's worshiping, the only man who had sense enough where to go. While he's worshiping, God said, David, David, go recover all. In other words, don't stay here feeling sorry for yourself, David. Get up. I've got your back. This is your answer. Go fight for what is yours. Go get back what the devil stole from you. What your enemy stole from you, David, is rightfully yours. Go let the devil know. Go let your enemy know that you have a word from God. You have his victory and all of heaven backing you. And you go in and get what belongs to you. <laughs> You all look too calm. So God says, recover all. Go get what's yours. Take out your enemy and take out all of your enemy's possessions. Now, many of his soldiers at this stage of the game are too weak. They're weak with grief, and some of them can't even mount to go with him to fight. And you know what David says? He says, you puny, faithless little Creatures, I can't believe that you can't. No, he, he didn't say that. Yeah, he didn't say that. He didn't say that at all. He says, I understand. 
I understand sometimes, sometimes the battle's overwhelming. Sometimes the grief is too much. You stay here. I'll fight for you. That's a type of Christ right there. Sometimes I'm too tired. I'm too worn out. I'm too beat up. I don't know the next thing to do. But then Jesus steps in and says, it's okay. I got this. I'll fight this battle for you. I don't know if that does anything for you or not, but that excites me to the core of who I am, to know that in my weakness, he's made strong. To know when I don't know what to do, he does. To know, to know that he's fighting a battle for me. He's got a plan. He's got a way. And sometimes when I don't have the strength, he does. And he stands up and he helps me. And sometimes he empowers me to do what I can do in my strength with his backing. But most generally, I just have to lay down and let him do it all. Are you there? Look at this. So. That, of course, leaves room for God to join in the battle. When you can't take all of your faculties to war, that's when you depend on God even more. And you know in this life, what we need more than anything is total dependence on God. If I can totally depend on him, the battle's already won. It's already done. And these are pre-Christ, pre Jesus walking the earth, lessons for us. We call them type and shadow. And in this case, David is a representation of what Christ would do. It's okay. I understand. I know you're hurting. But watch me. Watch what I can do. I'm bringing back. I'm bringing back the spoils. I'm bringing back your stuff. And the devil stuff too. <laughs> Woo, I love that. So guess what happens? David pushed back. David goes to war. Just as God said, with a reduced army. And when he gets to battle, he doesn't just win. He crushes the Amalekites. This ragtag bunch of people who are still tore up from the floor up, following this leader with a word from God, go in and literally, literally annihilate the enemy and recover everything that belongs to them and then carries off everything that belongs to the Amalekites. Mm, that's my God. Everybody's still with me. We're almost done. It's hard to believe, I know. He crushes the Amalekites like they're a bug. <laughs> Goo is running everywhere. <laughs> Somebody like that. <laughs> and they take back what's theirs. They take back what belongs to the Amalekites. Then David's loyal warriors on the way back, when they see their brethren as they get back to Ziklag, something rises up in them that says, I don't think they should get any of this spoil. They can have what's theirs, but they don't deserve this spoil. They don't deserve it because they didn't fight. 
They didn't follow you, David. They didn't go into war. So I don't think we should share it with them. And I love the heart of David. Because right here, David establishes a law that stood as long as he ruled as king. That the spoils of the enemy are divided amongst the kingdom. Everything they took back, everything they won in war, they didn't hold it with a tight fist. They opened up the heart of generosity and said, we know you were too worn out and too beat up to fight with us. We knew you were tore up from the floor up. So here, take this. This will help you feel better. Mm -hmm. Doesn't that sound like our God? He fights our battles and then gives us the victory. He fights our battles and gives us the spoils. He wins wars we couldn't possibly win. He leads us into victories we could have never got and then allows us to have the spoils. Mm. But Saul is so crazy and so desperate. He wants to take, he wants to take uh, uh, David out. He hates it because David got praise he didn't get. And the kingdom has already been stripped from him. He's already been judged. He's now just sitting as a puppet in, this, in the rulership of the king, waiting for the rightful king to get there. And Saul's so crazy and desperate that he breaks his own law. He, he had all the mediums and all the witches driven out of Israel. And so what's he do? He goes and searches for a witch. Because he needs a word. Because he can't get a word from God and Samuel is gone. There's nothing more desperate than to be in a place where you can no longer hear God. He's been judged. He cannot hear God. So he goes to a witch, breaks his own law, disguises himself, goes in gets her to conjure up some demonic entity to pretend that he's Samuel. And you know what word he gets? Well, you've already been judged. You're going to die anyway. Just die. Those are encouraging words just before you go into battle with your enemy. You're going to die. <laughs> So, he gets the word, you're going to die, and all of his sons died on that day. That's what we read in chapter 31. Jonathan, David's, David's, um, what do I want to say? Somebody help me with the word. Yeah, best friend, but there's a covenant between them. I can't think of what they call that. I'm sorry. Ah, there's, a, there's a word for that covenant that was between them, but that's okay. We'll just we'll leave it at that. But even Jonathan dies. Saul is wounded by arrow, so he falls on his own sword as to not suffer persecution from his enemies. After all, the things he did to David, he doesn't want to be persecuted like he did to David. Doesn't that sound like your enemy? Now, I want to point out something here. You saw it in the word. You saw it in the last portion of the word there because there's such a controversy in the body of Christ as rather cremation is Christian. But here you see that cre cremation and burial were both used in the same instance. You decide. 
don't let some man put some thing on you that you can't you can't bury in a certain way. You you just saw it with your own eyes in the word, so you decide. Saul was buried beneath a tree in Jabesh. Jabesh means dry place. Saul was buried in a dry place. There's nothing drier than to be apart from God. There's nothing more miserable than life without God when you once knew him. If you never knew him, you don't know what you're missing. But if you once knew him. Mm. So Saul is buried beneath the tree. Saul's attempt to hold on to his self-made image and his once favored power and position ended in humiliation, not humility. It ended in intimidation and fear. It ended in defeat as his posterity to pass. It ended in woundedness from an enemy. It ended at his stubborn will, and his stubborn will even got his children death. He ended life with no legacy. He was mocked by his enemies and paraded around before the dead gods of idolatry. He was buried as a commoner in an unmarked grave. So what are you trying to say, Pastor? Well, here's the point. Rebellion ends bad for the rebellious. As long as you are rebellious, you are playing with death. You are playing with something that's forbidden called witchcraft. And you will never hear from God while you're in rebellion. Had Saul came in repentance, it could have been different. This outcome could have been different. Had he humbled himself, it could have been different. But he was so set on taking out David that he wouldn't let go of the rebellion in his heart. And you'll never hear from God while you're in rebellion, which means you only represent your selfish want, not God's heart or intent. Saul lost it all as desperately as he tried to hold on to it. He lost it. And in the end, it was just as Samuel prophesied, you're going to die apart from God. Think about that. It's not the star of Saul that flies over Israel today. It is the star of David. And if you compare mistake to mistake, I think David made greater mistakes. But the difference was the intention of the heart. His heart was for God. His heart was filled with humility. Even when he got himself in some trouble and in some places where he shouldn't have been, he came back quickly to God when he heard the truth. When his sin was pointed out, he repented publicly. If Saul would have just repented, it would have been a completely different story.
David was held away from the, the, the right, rightful place of his throne and his rightful position because Saul wouldn't abdicate his rebellion and delayed David getting to the throne. But thank God it happened because David grew in the wilderness and became a greater man because of it. If you're going through something today and you feel like you're in the wilderness, there's a reason. There's something in you God's trying to develop. And you got one of two ways to go. You can act like Saul. You can hold on to your self-will, your self-preservation. You're trying to save face. Or you can be like David and be humble and go, here I am, God. It's me. Renew in me a right spirit. Give me a clean heart. That's the choice we have. Do you know how many times I've cried out that David prayer? Forgive me, God. Sometimes it, it's just over the silly little things that happen at home. You'll snap at your wife or something, and then you go, oh, God, forgive me. Sometimes it's over life-changing decisions. But if you want to know the right place, the right heart in God, is to never become stiff-necked, to never become unteachable, never let the, let the enemy talk you into it's my way or the highway. Always keep a heart that's pliable, moldable, and teachable. Can you say amen? Father, we thank you for your word today. I ask, Father, that this word would go deep, 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 where deep calls unto deep. God, help us to remain pliable. Help us to remain whole in your presence. Father, I thank you for this message as simple as it was. I thank you, Lord, for the impact that it could have in our daily walk with you. Just real quickly, while every head's bowed, every eye's closed. If that touched you in a way and you know there's some things you need to let go of, I'm not going to call you up here, but would you just raise your hand and say, that's me, pray with me. Thank you, that's honest. Father, I pray for these that raise their hand up and down, for those that are streaming right now. Father, we thank you, and we ask you, Father, right now, give me a heart like David. Give me a heart like David. I repent before you, Father. I see the error of my way. I see the things I'm holding on to. I'm angry about things I shouldn't be angry about. God, I'm bringing it to you. Father, I want to be that man of integrity, that woman of integrity. I want to be that person, Father, that crosses the finish line and crosses it in victory. So, Father, we're going to let you fight our battles. We're going to let you help us when we're helpless. We're going to let you lead us and guide us and direct us. And we're not going to try to take matters into our own hands and to go into a war that will only end badly for us. But we're going to go following you. And we give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen.